One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to episode 11 of The Story Studio. With your hosts, Luke Condor, and Daniel Wilcox. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. It's a show for filmmakers, writers, comic book makers, crowdfunders, entrepreneurs, creators, and anyone looking anyone looking to tell stories in the modern world. My name is Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by uh, Luke Condor with a K. And John Locke is back. Our special guest today, John Locke, hey. two point zero from also, Big Punch Studios. Also with a K. Oh, no. Also with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I. I... Very, very happy to be here. He said gesturing with his arms on a purely audio uh, audio medium, so Ooh. I apologise. Yeah. Not quite firing on full cylinders, but I, I will endeavour to be entertaining. Yeah, this, oh, great. This is a, an addendum to the previous episode, I guess. Um, if you haven't if you haven't listened to the previous, previous episode to find out who John is, what he's all about, you should probably check that first and then come to here. Uh, does that sound about right? Uh, we've had some uh, very nice feedback based on uh, the previous episode, which has been which has been lovely. Actually, uh, you know, you, you 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 do all this waffling into a mic, and uh, you're never sure if any how uh, how it's uh, being received. But now we've had some people say they they really enjoyed hearing about what we do at Big Punch, which is nice. Oh, okay. So, so thank you, thank you guys. Yeah, you've um, yeah yeah, you're opening doors for us. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> do you uh, out of curiosity? Do you tell people that you podcast openly? I, it's something I tell people, but uh, I have to figure out who that, what kind of reaction I'm going to get first. If to you mean talk. like polite society? Yeah, I would never. Yeah, I don't say I talk to microphones in my spare time to most people. Hmm. Uh, do I? Yeah, I, I, I think um, we may have touched on this recently. You know, we may have touched on this in a briefly when we last spoke, but um, I think like I'm reaching a point now where. I don't know if I'm like proud of what I do, but I'm definitely less ashamed, if you know what I mean, of saying that like I do, I don't, I'm not an adult, you yeah. know. We say, what do you do? <laughs> say, well, you know, we write and we design some games and uh, occasionally a, a podcast. And uh, I'm getting to the point now where I can say that and people go like, cool, cool. Like, you know, they're starting to maybe not understand it, but like yeah. just not, not actively be scared of it anymore, which is nice. There's like a birthing period, isn't there, where you've got to kind of settle into admitting mm. that you do it to yourself before you admit that you do it to other people i'm I think i'm still at that point with with my work where i've only told a couple of people and even those people that i've told have been like ah oh, podcast it's, it's nothing it's, it's it's stupid yeah the worst yeah, thing we... is the worst thing is when you have to explain what a podcast is 
which is mm. kind of crazy to me. The amount of podcasts I listened to, I thought it was, you know, standard, standard content now. Well, it's weird. I mean, I, I, it's it's so weird. Like I listen to a lot less music than I used to now, and if I, I have headphones in all the time, uh, so certainly when I'm you know doing um, the day job and editing, because I can kind of just like you know isolate myself from the world. But um, yeah, more and more, it's just podcasts on all kinds of stuff. Like I, I just enjoy hearing people talk. Hmm. In fact, some of my favorite podcasts are the more aimless ones where it's just conversations committed to tape. Yeah. Any any come to mind? You listen to? Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, uh, like a gateway drug of mine into the world of podcasting was, um, well, actually, yeah, I think, uh, I, have you guys heard of Loading Ready Run? I don't think so, no. no, no. Well, Loading Ready Run are a uh, Canadian-based uh, group of internet comedians and um, very kind of indie. Uh, in, like, like the, to be fair, I mean, I'm doing them a disservice. Like, they have hmm. probably hundreds of thousands of followers. Not quite, not quite millions, you know, not quite hundreds. Yeah. But they live off what they do. They have a studio. You know, really, really, they were a massive inspiration for me, kind of getting started because I know what they did was very different to what I was aspiring to do, making comics. But I loved the fact that they were just doing it off their own back entirely, and they thought that everything I I aspired to kind of be as like an indie creator. And they just used to do kind of like in the kind of, oh, when did the kind of podcast revolution start? It's probably about a decade ago. I mean, they were just, um, they would just do like a monthly podcast, which was nothing more advanced than them all gathered in one room with a single mic, just mm-hmm. kind of chatting about everything they'd done that week. And I just, I think that's maybe where I got my love of just those informal conversations because they yeah. just waffled on and they don't do that anymore now. But uh, in my modern podcasting, I, I started with the Kevin Smith podcasts yeah. because the man can talk and the man can. <laughs> and he's got a great pop- voice. He's got like a really deep voice. He really does. Yeah, mm. it's, it's crazy. And I, I loved um, his Fat Man on Batman uh, mm. podcast. <laughs> uh, I remember like uh, someone telling me about his Grant Morrison interview, and I'm I'm just the most shameless Grant Morrison fan in the mm. world. And uh, that explains a lot, by the way. After reading a lot of binge, big punk. Big, BPM, Big Punch Magazine. I can I can see the influence now. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, kind of like uh, shamelessly wearing that on my sleeve. But um, yeah. Oh god, what am I listening to now? Uh, yeah. Uh, do you uh, okay? Do you guys know uh, Scott Kurtz and Chris Straub? I don't think so. Straub rings a bell, but it... Straub rings a bell. Yeah. Well, they're both um, uh, web cartoonists, and I think uh, like in that thing where I guess we're comic book makers mm. and i know you guys are working on comics so you know hey one big happy comic family yeah. uh comic book makers they're definitely like web cartoonists and uh, uh scott kurtz did uh, and still does pvp which was like one of the first massive success web comic things which is still kind of running today and is is one of the most visited web comics uh, in the world and um chris straub uh is a fellow uh, cartoonist who kind of like uh, started out as a like uh, he was a lot he was a uh, degree younger than Scott Kurtz he was kind of like his friend but also like uh, like learning from him and kind of coming up and uh, over years like uh, I have a massive man crush on Chris Straub I, feel, mm. I should feel I should feel I feel I should be honest about this because he's he's really really insanely talented and the two of them are and they're hilarious and right at the moment I've been listening to a couple of podcasts they did about 10 years ago like those mm. those episodes are still online 
and uh, yeah. it was called Web Comics Weekly, and it was yeah very much like uh, the realities and kind of economics of of making comics on an indie level. And again, slightly different to what we do. Um, yeah. But there was a lot, a lot to be learned from it, and they're just very funny guys, and I could listen to them talk. I, I could listen to independent storytelling type people all day as well. I think it's just that when someone's ethos resonates with your own, it you feel like it, it, in in day to day you don't really find people who do what you do very often. <laughs> so yeah, it's just yeah, nice yeah. to find people out there that that are similar in a way. Yeah, I was going to say. Speaking of talking too much, um, <laughs> I feel an important part of my brain isn't quite working tonight like the bit that might normally tell me to shut up so please do tell me to <laughs> shut up otherwise uh, in this mildly del- delirious state of mine I-, I will just keep talking i'm not like just a... have a signal just both cover <laughs> our cameras and... yeah. okay fine right i'm not a so... not a professional interviewer but i'm pretty sure telling the guest to shut up isn't the isn't the best interviewing technique. isn't etiquette yeah <laughs> it's it'd be a hell of a statement yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My, uh, the podcast I'm listening to at the minute, which I'm really enjoying, which I was surprised that I did, was have you listened to any of um, The Walking Dave? I've listened to the, I've listened to the first yeah. few. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, Luke and I a bit more. I mean, um, do you ever listen to the self-publishing podcast, John? No, no. No? Well, it's, that's fantastic to listen to. It's three guys. It's Johnny B. Truen, uh, Sean Platt, and David W. Wright. And um, David, I think about a year ago, he, he ended up in hospital because he's overweight and he's got health problems. They decided to double his weight loss by walking around and recording a podcast as he does it. So right. while he's off, while he's off in his half hour walks, he kind of just talks about his life and and things that are happening. And it's just it's really weird because that kind of stuff I wouldn't normally listen to, but it's so just raw and honest. And there are some hilarious bits in it. So I've listened to two episodes in a row where. It's, they're on completely different days, but as he's walking past a line of trees, he spots the same snake appear like two <laughs> days in a row, and you just hear him stop talking and go, "Oh shit, there's a snake!" And you go, "Okay." And then the next episode, exactly the same thing, but it's just one of those where he rambles about his life. But there are lessons in that where I go, "Yeah, it sounds a little bit like mm. some of the stuff that I go through as you know a, a, an indie author." So yeah, Dave Dave Wright is a quite an enigmatic soul, and it's. He's quite interesting to listen to, just just talk and waffle on. Uh, I what does he do? Him. I feel, I feel oh, he, so ignorant. He's a, an indie author, so he, he just writes uh, fiction, like writes horror books. And, oh, and wow, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he's a cool guy, yeah. though. Yeah, um, I've been, uh, uh, the, um, speaking of horror, like just uh, just because I was uh, getting ready uh, before speaking to you guys, I was listening to uh, an, an episode of one of Chris Straub's uh, kind of modern podcasts from like this year uh, called... Um, scared yet question mark and uh he has uh he does an amazing webcomic called brood hollow mm, that, uh, that which is it, it's kind of like uh tintin meets uh cthulhu <laughs> uh which is probably like the best which is doing it a massive disservice but it's uh it's kind of fantastic absolutely fantastic and the artwork is deceptively simple uh it hangs for kind of tintin thing and it's set in this kind of prohibition era town uh in america called brood hollow so it's kind of like this stephen king-esque vibe and you know deep horrible things beneath the town but uh the main character uh wadsworth zane i want to say his name is he's a door-to-door encyclopedia salesman who inherits uh his his great uncle dies he's the sole heir to whatever fortune he had and he has to go to brood hollow to collect his his inheritance and ends up getting 
stuck there for various reasons and he has OCD and obsessions and neuroses and, and there are horrible things in the town. And every time these horrible, horrible things appear, the artwork shifts quite dramatically and goes from being like this really cutesy, uh, almost childlike style to suddenly being very grim and scary. Like the monsters are quite dark. And so he's got, uh, uh, and it, it walks the amazing line between being very scary, but also very funny. It's, uh, a humor horror thing at the same time and uh yeah and he does a podcast with um another uh cartoonist called abby howard who i'm not massively familiar with her work but yeah they've just been talking about things that scare them oh, oh, oh sorry and uh chris straub um he wrote uh the creepy pasta uh hmm. candle cove i don't know if oh, that rings okay. a bell it Which rings a bell this is the weirdest thing like this is the era we live in he wrote like a, a, a creepypasta, which was maybe like 400 words, if that, uh, which was a fake message thread in a forum about people discussing uh, a kids program they all remembered as a, uh, a from when they were children. And it was called Candle Cove. And people were saying like, oh, yeah, that show just to terrify me as a kid. It was all these really creepy puppets and stuff. And this uh, something called like the bone eater and stuff like that, which would just like utterly terrify them. And then loads of people realizing that that show never aired, but they all remember it. And mm. someone said like their, their mom came in and they were just staring at a screen of static, that kind of thing. And, mm. and from that, which was really just, like a like a like a I guess like a modern art installation. It wasn't even a story. It was like a just a fake forum. Um, that's now being picked up and is being made into a TV series. And wow. um, <laughs> that's it, pretty cool. it's, it's absolutely bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. But he's a very talented guy. Yeah, mm. have to check out some of his stuff. Amazing. I recommend um, Brood Hollow. So good. Brood Hollow. We'll, we'll link all in the show notes again so people can check it out. Um, John, I've got to quickly say congratulations uh, because your Kickstarter campaign was fully funded oh good grief yeah flip sorry no it's have been, you forgotten <laughs> yeah it's been, a, it's been a manic two weeks it, it really has um but yeah I, I got the email today from kickstarter saying you know we've successfully processed all the funds and they'll be arriving soon and um we've got the first digital rewards out out the door so yeah it's it's, it's almost like it's almost like it didn't happen it was almost like a bizarre dream but now, yeah, we're thinking about to be full steam ahead on getting the rest of yeah. the book finish. I've, Fantastic! Um, I've received my some of my digital rewards. I think uh, so. I've got. I've been reading Afterlife One, Volume One, uh, catching up, and it's very cool. I actually really like the foreword as well. You have a little bit of a spiel talking about uh, traveling across Canada, oh, and yeah, uh, yeah. and then we're wondering. I think you you were in a bit of an ennui about writing in general like you didn't know if you wanted to continue and then you sort of came back and thought i'm going to do this thing that became after i think does that sound about right uh absolutely i mean uh it depends how much rope you want to give me because I'll, I'll i'll waffle on about canada if you want that kind of canada was my kind of uh my my formative year i guess i hmm. uh i i studied um i studied biological sciences at, at university uh, stop me if I mentioned this in the last podcast. And um, it, uh, as much as I loved it, it wasn't, I didn't think it was what was going to make me happy in my life. I, I still have a real, real soft spot for obviously science and biology in general, but um, I had to kind of take that long, hard look at myself and think, you know, what yeah. am I going to do with my life? And I realized um, 
I, uh, I didn't think I would ever be an exceptional scientist. You know what I mean? Like I thought, ah, oh, you know, I'm kind of, I can, I'm good enough. You know, I'm kind of like a, a mid to upper echelon student. I'm not the best. I'm not the smartest. And, and I, I just, I don't know. I thought like, I think I could spend my entire life and maybe just be a kind of average scientist, but I have this feeling that like, I may not be, I really thought I could bring something to telling a story. Like I, I, I would never ever say that I could write the best story ever, but I knew I could tell a John Locke story mm. and I knew that hadn't been done before. And I, 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 I like, weirdly like for a, for a kid, who had very little confidence at all, like in, in anything, like no confidence in himself. I did have this crazy presumptuous self-belief in my writing, which was kind of bizarre. Like I felt, I felt John the person wasn't up to much, but I thought that John the writer could, could maybe be someone I, I would like and, and everything. Yeah. And that kind of, so I, I probably did the most daring thing I'd ever done in, in my incredibly boring, safe and, well-behaved life and i said well screw this I'm, I'm running off to canada for a for a year and um <laughs> did you write, and it, did you write any of the book when you were in canada or did you come back uh, i kind of started no i um when i when because I, at the time i was i had this idea for a comic called uh dark force uh hmm. which i remember was, you mentioning that last time yeah the most 90s thing yeah. you've ever 90s and uh <laughs> i i i i was in Canada. I was uh, living in this kind of rambling shack of a house with nine other travellers. We had a, a terrifying landlady who lived next door. Uh, you know, and shenanigans happened. We threw a house party. A wall got demolished in the lounge downstairs. <laughs> that 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 happened. And uh, I was I was you know we were alternating above and below the breadline. I was thinking, oh man, it's so cold so cold in toronto in christmas i'm like what am i doing where am i gonna how am i gonna tell a story and get a comic off the ground and um i remember in the first week there was a uh like an indie little comic fair going on in a park around the corner and i went along and there was a uh, like some free comics you could pick up and all the toronto-based indie creators had put together a little anthology and um i i had never even heard of scott pilgrim yeah. At the time, but um, there was a short Scott Pilgrim story in there about them just the characters just getting sushi, that kind of thing. And yeah. I remember talking to these creators there, and I met uh, Cameron Stewart, who was just kind of there in this tent in this park, and he was Toronto-based. And I said, "Look, uh, it's a bit presumptuous, you know. Would it be all right if I popped into your studio one day just to say hello and kind of see what was going on?" And um, he said, "Yeah, come on down and." I've been chatting on MSN Messenger. MSN the, Messenger. In the heading <laughs> oh, days, well. 2007. And um, I, I've been chatting with a uh, an artist called uh, Keith, who was Canadian. And we met up when we were in Canada, and he became part of our friendship group. And we were going to make Dark Force. Dark Force was going to be us taking on the world. And uh, I remember going to see Cameron Stewart, and he was saying, like, so what's your comic about? I was trying to explain to him and I, I couldn't because it was about everything and nothing at the same time. Like it, it was, you know, it was very, dare I say, kind of teenage, you know, it was kind of like, um, you know, it was angels and demons and, and this, that and the other. And, and, and he was just like, and it's going to be a hundred issues long and it's going to be, it's going to be like Sandman. It's going to be the next Sandman. He's just like, 
okay, slow down. He's like, slow <laughs> down, you know, start small. You've, you're just going to, you're going to kill yourself if you try to do all that before you can, you know, you can run before you can, you can crawl. And around the same time, I, I, uh, popped along to, oh, I, I'm worried I'm repeating myself now, but anyway, I got, I, I got a lovely piece of advice from a, um, uh, from the owner of a comic shop in Toronto called The Beguiling. And he told me there's nothing more overrated than a good idea, which was it absolutely crushed me. It was, it was the most <laughs> devastating advice I'd heard, but uh, it ultimately kind of saved me, I guess, because it, it made me stop and think and start from scratch. And, and then in that weird environment I found myself in, after I think kind of blossomed and I have utterly no idea where it kind of came from. Um, so many of the characters just kind of sprung fully formed out of nothing. It's almost like yeah. I was, I was, but, but everything I got caught up in had just become like a, a blockage. And the moment yeah. that was gone, I was like, Oh heck, I have an idea. And have you still got ideas? Are you going to do any more after four? Or... Oh, absolutely. No, okay, um, cool. the most depressing thing, or the most not depressing, the most uh, maddening thing is that the original idea for after I think, which was born from that winter in Toronto, was uh is that it would be six books it would be six books in the style of um you know the american graphic novels i'd grown up reading and uh yeah and it would be the rise and fall of after i think and the original plan for the series was it would begin with jack dying it would end with an ending like mm. a very very definite ending um and then it took me a very long time to actually get it off the ground from that original idea like uh, keith was too busy to ultimately commit to it. And I couldn't pay him at the time anyway. And it wasn't, so I spent a year of scheming. I spent, I had another comic I was working on in Canada. And of course I didn't have an artist. It wasn't going anywhere. When I got back to the UK, uh, I found a job, I started saving up and then I had enough money to, to pay my first artist and we made the first story. But I realized I wasn't good enough as a writer to tell the story, the original mm. arc of after I think I'd always wanted to. So I did one short story I did, which turned into two short stories, which turned into three, which inadvertently became volume one of After I Think, which um, you've been reading. And then I ended up making a second book and a third book, none of which, he said, in a very rambling roundabout way, were part of that original plan. Mm. Mm, None of them. So by doing all these kind of indie self-published stories, which I never imagined I would, now, finally, with book four, I'm coming around to where the original start of the series was. And the only difference now is that I'm not starting with the death of the death of Jack. And um, so many people have said, Oh, I love, I love the way, I love the way you, you never explained how Jack died. I love, I love how you just dumped us straight into the action. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that was totally my plan. <laughs> yeah. In reality, I just started telling these side stories mm. to a story which had net, which hadn't been made yet. It was almost like yeah. uh, I thought I'd fake it till it started making sense. I think the uh, we'll, we'll, we better jump onto the big whoops very very soon, uh, and then we'll we'll talk about Patreon. So sorry, like no, it's, it's cool. Um, but I think the, the way you introduced the, the first story was, was was a great introduction to the world and the sort of the theme and the humour behind it. So I think the way you started after I think one was a very good way to start a, a book. Um, but big big whoops! Uh, what a big whoop! Uh, has anyone got one they want to start with? John, have you got a big whoop? Or, or Dan, do you want to go first? 
Please, Dan, go first. Save me. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, my, my big whiff will have to be one that I should have done last week, but I don't know why I didn't do it in the end, but it was that we all went to our first Comic-Con, not last two weeks ago. It doesn't matter. It's on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but no, we all went to our first Comic-Con in Lincoln, which was the Lincoln <laughs> puns. And um, it was it was kind of awesome. Um mm. So it was basically, it was quite a small affair in terms of how Comic-Cons go, or a few that I've been to. But it was well-organized. It was kind of a steady stream of people all day. And it was just really nice having our table, our banner, our books, yeah. and being able to stand there and talk to people face-to-face about what we do. Because obviously, as writers, we spend a lot of time by ourselves or sort of away from people who actually understand or the people that would enjoy the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it was just it was just lovely just talking to the people. It was a really well run event by two guys also called Luke and Dan, um, which was very confusing when they were announcing at the end to bring Luke and Dan to the stage to say thank you for everything they've done. Yeah, I feel like you're welcome. And me, yeah, me and Luke just looking at each other, going, "Sure, yeah." Um, but no, it was just it was just fantastic. It was just it motivating more than anything to want to fill that table with more stuff. And just talk to more people about what it is we do. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was really fun. Mm. A good stepping stone, I think, as well, to bigger cons. Because it was quite... I wouldn't say it was tiny, but I'd say it was it was good enough for a first Comic-Con. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. John, do you remember your first con? Or how long how long ago was that? Uh, I do. That was February 2012. And that was the inaugural London Super Comic-Con. Which wow, uh, okay. the, big, yeah. the big selling point was they had Scan Lee. Yeah, oh. basically, and not a whole lot else actually. I think I think that's kind of why <laughs> uh, we ended up having quite a strong start because I think there were so many people through the door who were like, "Oh, I can't wait to see Scan Lee." Right, I've seen him now. What now? And then there's like five tables in the corner, and yeah. I was just kind of waving. And uh, <laughs> he looks nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think my my friend yeah. went to that comic. Well, my friend got tickets from his girlfriend to go to that comic con. Um, and he's a massive Marvel fan. He was, oh, he was just fanboying all over the fact he was going to see Stan Lee, and then discovered a week later that he his parents had already booked for them all to go to Italy for that week. Oh, so he, he had to sell the tickets that his girlfriend bought him, and never got to see Stan Lee. I'm sure we'll get to see him at some point. No, he's not doing any more cons. I think is that nope. never again. <laughs> well, see, it's weird because I swear he's appeared at like three this year, unless he's fi- and then maybe now's the cutoff point. Is there the lookalikes? But- the right, right. Like, yeah. Cosplay. <laughs> Cosplay. <laughs> it's yeah. funny, like some random con experiences. Because I remember, like at that at that London Super Comic Con, where there it was kind of empty. They had this big kind of where like warehouse and not much in it. Uh, there was a guy going around dressed as uh, a metal, this amazing Galactus. So he had, and he had a tiny little silver surfer on his shoulder. <laughs> so amazing. like my first kind of con experience, I always remember that Galactus. Yeah, and then. I think the following year, uh, we were at Kapow, a short-lived show. But I met this guy who was half scroll, like you know, and it, and it, it looked really cool. And he was a lovely guy, and I remember just having this really nice chat with him. Uh, and he just made sometimes you just meet these most genuinely wonderful people, two yeah. of which I'm talking to right now, of course. Oh, thank you. Uh, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I was Galactus." I was like, "Oh yeah, you were." You were there. You were like, uh, <laughs> you have just like this really uh, ingrained memory now at that did show. He, did he have a tiny person on his shoulder that was cosplaying as Silver Surfer? <laughs> like being like very, playing very, clothes at the time. Far away. Yeah. <laughs> very far away. And yeah. by clever tricks perspective, he always appeared for his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. 
Nice. Um, I guess I guess my big whoop. I have two, but one just a very very quick one. Just want to say the the, the new Bonnie Bear album has nothing to do with storytelling or comic books, but I just can't stop listening to it. Um, but my actual uh, storytelling related uh, big whoop is. Um, uh, do you guys know Valiant Comics? Do you know much about Valiant Comics? A little bit. Okay, so I want to, I want to say yes. Okay, uh, so there's there's the big two comic book publishers. There's Marvel and there's DC. And in '92, um, uh, Valiant started, and the idea was to start a third big publisher. Uh, they had Ninjak, Bloodshot, Ray, uh, Exo Manowar, all these character Harbinger, all these characters that were very very '90s. Admittedly, like really super nineties, like mullets, long hair. Um, uh, it, it pretty pretty amazing to look at some of those old ones. But then they went bust, and they sold. They also had Turok and um, another big one that they've not been able to get back, uh, Solar Man of the Atom or something like that. Um, so they went bust. They sold a load of their uh, characters and stuff to. Um, some other companies still got the rights to them. They're just not doing anything with them. But then in 2012, they relaunched um, with a whole new comic book line. Every single comic book is kicking ass. Archer and Armstrong. Have you, if, are any of these names ringing any bells? Or Yeah, I, I see yeah. them around. Do you mm. know what's weird? I have this thing about Archer and Armstrong where mm. I have no idea what it's about. But, I think you would love Archer and Armstrong, by the way. But the the, the name the name always sticks in my like every time I see it, it's mm. like uh, it's like having stuck something stuck in in a tooth. You know, you just can't. Yeah. Something about the name, I'm always like, what is it? Like, what what is it about? Like, it baffles me. I want to. It oh, just seems so weird that a mainstream comic is called Archer and Armstrong. Yeah, it's kind of bonkers as well. It's about um, this immortal drunk guy and. Um, this kid who was raised, he's like a kid Christian assassin who was raised in a theme park where they trained little uh, kids to believe in Jesus and go kill people who they didn't want. They had like a hit list sort of thing. Um, That's amazing. And, Sorry, I'm just looking at pictures on Google. And then they just go on these crazy adventures. Um, there's like uh, zombie nuns. There's um, uh, They go to a place called the Faroe where there's a guy called General Redacted who... As you're reading the comic book, every other word is like blanked out because you're not allowed to see what he's saying. It's the most, it's the most hilarious comic book. It's uh, written by Fred Van Lenty, if if you know Fred. Um, but it, it's it's so good. But anyway, Valiant. So they've just decided to go all punk rock, and they decided to fund their own web series for their characters. Um, so ah right yeah this is ringing a bell now yeah so uh, it's called ninjak versus the valiant universe i think the idea is that um they can't compete with marvel's budget or dc's budgets to make their films but they want to get involved in the live action scene and, and they've decided to team up with uh a youtube company called bat and the sun productions and they do superpower beatdown which is where they get um like the fan film, so they go Wolverine versus Predator, and they like film it all really, really a really proper fight. And they have White Ranger versus Scorpion, and all these crazy fights. Uh, so Valiant, I just love this punk rock attitude to saying, right, we're gonna give this little indie film company a load of money. They're gonna have full reign of our characters, and we're gonna get our characters out to you know millions of millions of people who are ever gonna see it. But I just, I just absolutely love this company. Bloodshot is. Um, yeah, so Archie and Armstrong, read that. Bloodshot is great as well. I would recommend it totally. I've, I've looked at some of the panels just a second ago, and I've, I've got to say that's going to be on my list for next mm. next read. 
John, I'd recommend also Ivar Time Walker, which is like uh, a okay. That yeah. sounds great title yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I just love this company. I think I think you will look if you looked into it more. Yeah, I I certainly will. I, that that's the best recommendation I've 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 heard. I'll definitely check it out. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, okay, so we need to figure out Patreon. John is going to hopefully help us figure oh, out Patreon. Oh. <laughs> Revamping, yeah. We tried. We failed. <laughs> um, we didn't try very hard. We to didn't be try honest, very hard, but we we tried. Yeah. Um, oh well, I hope uh, I hope you don't consider me an authority on the matter because I, I I'd hate to scare you wrong. Well, I, I think you're doing it in the correct and best way. You have a, a fan base. You have a you know money coming in through the uh, through the whatever the portal, whatever it's called. Um, and I think I think you're the right guy to sort of show us. Where what to do, or could you explain Patreon to? Uh, can you be our Gandalf? Yeah, can I be your Gandalf? Uh, I, I guess better than uh, Radagast on a runaway. <laughs> but no, sorry. Um, well, Patreon. Yeah, uh, I guess in a nutshell, uh, Patreon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is the sister service and kind of companion to Kickstarter in mm. that it is a way for fans to give regular monthly payments to creators they follow. And I guess typically, but not essentially, these are smaller payments. So, uh, you know, the typical model is you're giving a little frequently, but you know, that, that, that isn't, you know, set, that isn't set in concrete. There are, there are exceptions to the rule at all times. Hmm, that's but, uh, I find it fascinating. I genuinely do. Patreon so in general. It's a, a beautiful description. I think uh, it's probably, the most succinct uh, description I've ever heard of Patreon. Um, so you, so your Patreon campaign, 
it, it looks to me like you've anchored it around Big Punch magazine. Would you say that's correct? Well, uh, yes, indeed. I mean, I think uh, that was that was the original idea because mm. we uh, see is like again Patreon. Uh, I still feel as though the indie comic book, or maybe just comic books in general, are still kind of finding their feet with Patreon. And I know, I know for a fact that we are as well. Like, uh, it you see the areas which are doing really well, or the creators that are doing really well on Patreon, and it's not comic books as such. Mm. Um, I heard someone say once that like. Uh, uh, Kickstarter lends itself more to a thing, a product, like one-off kind of. You're saying like, a, I saw like a Venn diagram of like, you know, how best to plan your crowdfunding or whatever. And uh, if, yeah, if you're making a, a thing with a defined end goal, maybe Kickstarter is for you. Uh, if you are doing more of an ongoing thing, then Patreon is maybe for you. Um, so. I guess traditionally back in the day, people might just uh, put stuff online for free. I think Patreon does lend itself so well to anything with an online component. I know that sounds kind yeah. of like slightly redundant because everything has an online component these days. But I think like you think about what you're creating and you think about the platform it's released on. And if it's going online regularly, then I think whatever it is, you're, you're going to kind of do well on Patreon, I feel. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we, um, I don't think the indie comic book scene has traditionally kind of fitted quite well into that model. And um, we, we started doing BPM nearly two years ago now. And we had this idea that we would do a regular print magazine, which was something that uh, given the production cost of doing stuff on the indie level, that was quite hard. Uh, and it certainly hadn't been done too often on this small scale. So we thought, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it work? And we wanted to offer it as a subscription, which again, to our knowledge, was not something which had really been done too much in the UK indie comic scene. I'm sure there's plenty of examples out there that would prove me wrong. But um, so, yeah, we we set up a subscription and we mm. we did. We had kind of two branches to that. One was through Moon Clerk, which is a it's just kind of a third-party subscription provider, which has the mechanisms to allow you to take addresses and payment details and everything. And uh, and then also through Patreon. And the the way we broke it down, and we did originally uh, shape it entirely around BPM, our magazine, the idea was that you could either subscribe through a website, in which case every three months, every time a new issue was made, um, five pounds, plus postage would go out as a subscription or because Patreon is monthly, you could, you know, become a patron and a smaller amount would go out every month, but it would equate roughly, you know, over mm. three months to the same as getting an issue of, B of BPM. And yeah. I think we always said that any patron would also get kind of behind the scenes extras. And that was the original plan. And we've, we've tried <clears> to refine <throat> it a bit kind yeah. of since then. I feel we're always kind of learning and, and evolving. Yeah. I think, um, Dan, what, what is our new plan that we're thinking about? Could, how would we best describe it? So I think we're looking at 
what we did before was we kind of tried to launch it on the back of the success of the other stories and have it as a bit of a um you can get it was like weekly in advance episodes of the other stories so you get exclusive sort of before anyone else mm. um which didn't really take but i think now what we're looking at doing is almost branding it as um an exclusive insiders club so you get a bit more of the backstage stuff you get a lot more of the behind the scenes as well as sort of extras that you can't get anywhere else mm-hmm. um but not really kind of going over the top with it just having it as if you're a super fan and you're really enjoying the stuff and you want more here is this service where for an extra couple of dollars or whatever is on patreon you can you can get a bit more from us mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of how we're approaching it because i kind of feel like with some people the minute you say patreon subscribe whatever people one might not know what patreon is so it's a bit scary mm-hmm. and two people that do know know I don't know it's almost like a buzzword that could put some people off of, um, of subscribing and, and becoming a patron. So we're going to try and I think brand it as a bit more of an insiders club. Kind yeah. Of. yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, uh, it, it's it's really interesting because it's something we we've been talking about a lot recently, and I'm sure other people arrived at this a lot earlier, but. It was a revelation for us, at least. But the psychology of it is absolutely fascinating because I never imagined that anyone would want to give money yeah. to, to, to support it. I know it sounds daft, but like, I, it always occurred to me that like, uh, I always thought for the longest time that like, stuff online is kind of free. That's kind of a thing. You know, like if you were putting out a webcomic, for example, the traditional model was always you put the webcomic out entirely for free almost as like a kind of speculating and then you sell books off the back of it and that's how you kind of you know make money um our but of course i'm learning now that um this is maybe this is obviously obviously a good thing but it's coming around and now kind of people are more willing to and i seem to want to keep giving money to support people but the thing, (laughs) thing thing we're finding really interesting is um because we started out making physical graphic novels and comics and, and going to going to conventions to sell them. And that was originally our the, the entire backbone of everything of everything we did. And mm. you know, it was fine because we could kind of not really do much stuff for uh we started out making graphic novels, taking mm. them to shows and selling them, which was uh, kind of wonderful. That was a model which was working for us. But we're noticing now, as we say, try to expand and do stuff like Patreon, we're noticing that that traditional audience, so say, and by which I mean kind of like a convention goer, and we would have returning fans. We'd have people who would come back at a show and say, oh, hey, haven't seen you since last year. What have you made now? Great. I want to buy that, which is wonderful. So we had a fan base which was very engaged at shows, but then we didn't necessarily have a lot of engagement online with them. And I think the thing we found with Patreon is that, well, we've had maybe kind of, uh, I think kind of like moderate success with with Patreon. You know, it's it's not kind of crazy money, but it's allowing us on top of, uh, when coupled with our subscriptions, to keep doing fun stuff and it's continuing to grow. But we found that like uh, that audience, which was traditionally the audience we were reaching, the convention going audience, which would go and buy books maybe once a year, was not really the same audience which seemed to, kind of getting behind patreon whereas i think like and what we're trying to do now just because 
you know, we don't want to be dependent on shows for the rest of our lives. We'd like mm. to have, a, you know, a kind of community and fan base online, which uh, kind of ticks over all year round. And then we can go to shows because we, because we want to and because we like meeting our fans and not because we desperately feel we have to in order to keep kind of the, you know, yeah, the yeah. business mm. side of things kind of ticking over. So it's fascinating. And, and I think the, the perfect counterbalance to that is to see the kind of money that, say, uh, streamers are making, like uh, kind of uh, game streamers. Um, mm. uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, actually. Um, I know uh, it's, it's hard sometimes not to lose your mind with frustration when uh, I know for a fact, I know for a fact, please don't ask me how I know this, but I know for a fact that there is a, an erotically charged artist whose work predominantly revolves around hobbits. Wow. Okay. So let that, let that sink in for a minute. Who is making something in the region of $10,000, if not much, well, I know that's a minimum a month Yeah. on, on oh. Patreon. So it's, 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 it's difficult not theories. to look at that and sort of get question what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, like, it's the same on like uh, Steam it, and it's the same on like you know Amazon yeah, Kindle yeah. publishing. There's always going to be unicorns who are making a ludicrous amount of money for what might not seem that much like work, or I don't know. To, I don't see the quality, I guess, as much as other people would. But it, it's it's disheartening. But I guess you sort of have to, you know, get the blinkers on and not focus on that, and just focus yeah. on what you're doing and. No, I guess cause I guess down that road, madness. Yeah, exactly. Madness yeah. lies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Although I will, um, it, it is interesting because um, we, uh, the idea we had, and certainly because we were doing a print publication with with BPM, the idea was that like uh, anyone who was backing us as a patron um, or, or subscribing, it was something we would send people magazines each year. That was the idea, and I think it added up to something like a hundred and over 180 pages of full color physical comic, which we thought was a pretty good, you know, we're sending out a lot of material. And then it's like, um, at the same time, I, I, I know an example of, of someone who plays video games on Twitch and yeah. their only Patreon tier is give me $25 <laughs> a month uh, and I will, I will keep playing games. And I'm like, <laughs> Like what? Are, what? Are, what are you getting out of that? Like yeah. I, this. This is me being a grumpy old man who doesn't understand the kicks because yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's incredibly entitled of me, and people can spend their money on whatever they want. But at the same time, I'm like, seriously, what are you getting? <laughs> I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people who I might be sort of um, generalizing, and sorry if I offend anyone that is listening, um, but I feel like people that watch people on Twitch playing games are those people that don't appreciate what goes on behind it so obviously when it comes to things like big punch when it comes to things like uh hawk and cleaver we we put hours into the background trying to produce things that are of quality but all people care about is the end result so sometimes people just like to watch people kick ass on games yeah, yeah. and unfortunately there's a big audience for that which i'm the same as you i won't understand in the slightest because i'm much more of a player than a watcher um it just doesn't make sense I think like uh, there's a. I heard someone make a really interesting point the other day about how, in their opinion, there were three types of. I don't want to say people, but you know, you could get like creators hmm. who were kind of like actively making new stuff. 
obviously the, the, the name is pretty self-explanatory, uh, or uh, content generators, into which they kind of grouped uh, people who stream. Uh, it's kind of like, or people who do, say, YouTube commentaries. It's like you're kind of creating something new, but it's entirely, it's more like you're repackaging something that kind of already exists. So, yeah. for example, it would be doing a, uh, a YouTube series in which you are dissecting or commenting on movies or that kind of thing, or, you know, playing uh, video games uh, for entertainment purposes. It's like what you're doing is entertaining, but it's not kind of ultimately creating anything new. And then the third category was kind of like uh, uh, curators, which they kind of took to be people kind of like uh, re uh, doing like uh, like fan art, like logos, kind of like um, like a T-shirt, which is like a mashup of Doctor Who and the Triforce or something like that. Like it's kind of or list generators like it's you're, you're kind of you you're kind of assembling content yeah but it's coming from other places yeah. and it's interesting and, and this is maybe like a, a very half formed theory that i'm kind of putting together but it, I, did, I am noticing a lot at the moment that we seem to be a lot of interest in content generators content creators and uh and curators over actual creators i think it's like the age of the remix the age of kind of like taking existing content changing it around putting it back out and i i worry that like we're at a point now where there's we're just kind of repackaging existing stuff and rewarding and rewarding that yeah, and I, yeah. and not kind of rewarding brand new creators and i think like maybe in three or four years time we'll be like oh heck we've run out of stuff to yeah. run out of stuff to reference we need to yeah i do think um um i i think all three have value i think curation especially uh in amazon publishing is is not there um i, I know i know there's people doing book reviews and they're like you know doing awards for the best 10 horror novel indie novels that year or something but there's just so much content out there that it's very difficult for those people to find uh the kind of books that they want to read um but i guess i mean i was just going to say do you think it's worth having um a foot in each of those pies within like a publishing company. So does that metaphor even work? <laughs> so like you have your creation. Um, so you make your original content, you have a bit of commentary. So we've dabbled with this, uh, a bit of a, a game play along type thing. Um, and then I guess a bit of curation, we've not really done much of that, but I'm just not wondering. To, I mean, I mean, you could kind of say that the books that we write, the basis of what we do a lot of the time is it's X meets X. Mm, okay. Which yeah. is, even though you're creating something new, the original idea is kind of founded on ideas that have pre-existed. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, and I, I agree entirely. And um, this is where I hope I don't come across as too much of a grumpy old man because there definitely is merit, absolutely merit in all of them. Um, I think, um, I think it's, it, it's, I think there are obstacles in your way if you are uh, a creator, particularly a small creator, because uh, I, I think even though I don't know if we're still feeling the effects of like the economic crisis from a few years ago, but people are very selective about the things they support and they're very, people seem to like familiarity. So there's always like, I think maybe once upon a time, the new was kind of exciting. I think the new can be a little scary. 
mm. nowadays. And um, I think, uh, yeah, sometimes you you have to do what you can to survive. I mean, I think a, a, a good example of this would be would be loading ready run who I who I brought up earlier. And initially, they were uh, creators. They were making uh, kind of uh, a weekly comic sketch. I think they were doing about three or four videos a week, and they did that kind of predating YouTube. They were very, very much some of the early pioneers of that kind of thing. But in recent years, they have uh, they started a sideline in uh, streaming. They're doing video games and uh, and watching them. And we and we followed them. We would uh, we, we watched them because we enjoyed them as people. But it's like it's interesting to note that I think over time. The amount of actual creation they've done has started to diminish and the amount of time they spend streaming yeah. has has gone up. And, it, and it, it's interesting because they, I know for a fact they make more money now off the back of streamers and of them being streamers. And I'm very happy for them because they're, they're nice people and everything. But it, it's interesting. It's, um, it, it, you know, you, you sometimes wonder if you're going about things the wrong, the wrong way. <laughs> you think like yeah. if we were, you know, maybe... It'd be nicer if there were some things which were, you know, if we had something which was like a money maker, which would kind of like allow us to to support the other stuff. Because yeah, I don't know. I it's a, it's a very I know I'm rambling. It's a bit of a vague thesis. I just think there's interesting questions. I guess you kind of need to ask yourself about what you are and what you're trying to do, and and ultimately what you would be satisfied with. Because I guess and a very good thing I heard said the other day is it's not about having the most followers it's not about saying i want a million like i want a million active subscribers or whatnot it'd be much better to have a small but engaged fan yeah. base like having if you had a hundred thousand visitors to your website every day but i don't know none of them were interested like really buying anything you did then eh, you know but if you had say 200 dedicated fans who were like we love you guys and we will We'll buy everything you do, and we'll give you, yeah. and we're happy to become your patron and give you give you some money every month. Um, yeah. Have you seen? Um, do you know Kevin Kelly? He's uh, the editor of the Wired magazine, and he's uh, uh, and a futurist. He's a really cool guy. I think they call him the most interesting man in the world. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. But he did a he wrote a blog post um, a few years ago. It's pretty internet famous now. It's called uh, "A Thousand True Fans," and he basically surmised that. Um, if you had a thousand fans who would buy everything you do, follow you around and would be completely engaged, you could make a full-time living. Like, um, he, he went into quite, uh, a lot of detail in some of these, in his post, but it was, it sort of made sense. Like you don't want millions and millions of fans, although having a million is probably going to give you more yeah, true fans as well. It's, it's better for people to find you if you've got more yeah. numbers, isn't it? It's... Yeah, but you don't you don't need the massive amount. You just need good people. Do you think this is one of the things about Patreon itself? Is that I think because I launched my own Patreon for my own writing a couple of months ago and it didn't do as well as kind of hoped it would. Hmm. Um, but it's one of those things that it's a lot slower in success because people who invest in you are the people that want to see it long-term. It's not like, yeah. like you say with Kickstarter, you pay $10 and in a month, that's it. It's people saying, I'm going to give you my time and my money regularly mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future. And yeah. if it is a slower building, essentially 
that's fantastic because that proves and shows that that person is more of a fan than say someone who will just mm-hmm. buy a book and then walk away. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's interesting because I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think as a creator, so as an indie creator, it doesn't hurt to have one. Yeah. And I think, uh, as with Kickstarter, and I think it's something I've, I've definitely noticed this time around with Kickstarter, um, it's not a magic wand for success. And I think it's interesting that like when, Patreon came around, and if, I guess if you were to kind of look at some of the real success stories on Patreon right now, I would argue that they were kind of they were established, or you know, they had yeah, yeah. pre-existing yeah before Patreon came along. And I think it's very hard to start from the bottom and work your way up. And I think kind of patience is is kind of is 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 essential. And I think uh, kind of having one is by no means a detriment. Um, but as you said, like it's it's interesting. Like, you you get one and you think, oh great, like this could yeah. this could change everything. But I I think this kind of goes into, I guess, kind of who you are as a creator, or or or, or who you all are as, as a group of creators, and also who your audience is. Because I think one thing we've noticed with our Patreon, and something we tried to kind of rectify, is that originally it was very focused on BPM, the magazine. So then, of course, if we had someone who was a fan of say afterlife inc so they say they really enjoyed what my work on afterlife inc and they're like well hey i want to support you on i want to support you on patreon or something but you've got this patreon for big punch and i'm like where does afterlife inc fall in that and like i, I don't really know what bpm is i don't really care about that but i do love afterlife inc or you know mm-hmm. or vice versa just as like an, an example and i think um i think your patreon needs a focus and that's something, you know, this is why I said, like, we've by no means masked it and we're going to continually try and evolve and, 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 and improve. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, we want, we want our Patreon to kind of represent everything we did as Big Punch Studios. But then we think to ourselves, well, what, what do people know? What do people respond to more? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be argued that because after I think has existed longer than Big Punch, you know, maybe Afterlife, I think, is a better known brand, much as like Nick's Seven String had a life before Big Punch. So it's interesting, like if you, you know, like, you know, Dan Wilcox, Patreon, you know, it's like, are you doing a Patreon for Dan Wilcox, comma, writer? Or is it like, this is the name of one story I wrote, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. the, the ongoing work of Dan, of, um, I don't know, um, uh, dick punch like private eye or something like that like the most <laughs> the most th- thrilling uh and, and his psychic map finish and they're just like you know they're going off and like saving the world and people go i love the ongoing adventures of of dick punch and of richard punch yeah of richard <laughs> yeah richard punch and it's like i uh, who writes it oh i don't know some guy called dan but i love i love dick you know this yeah. is the thing and it's like and, and, and it's interesting because if you had you know uh, if if your presence as you yourself is strong enough, mm. people are going to want to support that. And, and this is this is the thing. This is the, I guess this is this is the balance you have to to kind of strike. Yeah, it it seems to me like um, the the first takeaway then is to find something to the, the best way to the best anchor for the the campaign. It's going to be the biggest law, but then you sort of want to have it expand outwards to be something bigger. And it's almost like. Your your Patreon campaign should just be a platform to enable those a thousand true fans to support you. Like you don't, um, you shouldn't be seeing it as a marketplace to, you know, um, 
find new customers and 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 build up your brand there but it seems more of a place for people to support you and, and keep you going yeah and i think um you know a big thing is 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 not being afraid to put your personality out there because mm-hmm. I, I, people are starting to realize and maybe this is a turning tide which is ultimately a good thing that you know you're not robots who make these machines it's like people may love your books but i think where patreon will shine is where people go i love the work of hawk and cleaver but i love the guys who are hawk and cleaver even more and i yeah. want to see them kind of you know succeed and have their success and um i think uh i guess one thing which has always worked in our favor is that i think we've always been very or tried to be at least very sociable i think i guess it's hard on a sunday morning at a con when you're kind of very grumpy and tired <laughs> but it's like it's genuinely one of the greatest joys uh, of of creating has been meeting people at shows. I've absolutely loved, love, love, love meeting people and yeah. uh, talking to them and knowing that someone loves your stuff. And I think I think the only the only downside is what I mentioned earlier. Is simply that I think the traditional, and I'm, I'm generalising massively, but I think the traditional UK kind of comic buying scene has really yet to come around to Patreon as a whole. Yeah, and I, th- I think we'll get there. So, I-, I think at the moment, what you absolutely need is a web presence and community, and you need a place where people can come and find you daily. Whatever it is you do, I think it's hard to do a Patreon if your fans can only really engage with you once or twice a year at a show. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think I think uh, whatever you do, be it Twitch streaming or crafts or writing or or making comics it's like it, it you need a dedicated you need some of it where they can find you on a regular basis and i think they need a reason to come find you on a regular basis and yeah. you know if you're putting out your books on regularly or as installments or kind of like uh i guess serialized arthur conan doyle style short bursts of microfiction and your podcast that's the kind of thing which is really gonna really gonna strike a chord yeah Fantastic. I think also it's worth uh, <clears throat> coming back round to the not making loads of money thing is a lot of people, if somebody does decide to become a patron and they do just say, you know, a dollar for the for the tip jar, just topping up the tank, that even though it is just a dollar and that number doesn't look big, that's a fan. And that's a fan that through patron you have a direct connection to mm. because we get it. We get loads with um, the other stories. We get so many listeners that. You know, we're not going to know their names. We're not going to know who they are. They just enjoy what we do, and they're in the background. But having that one dollar, just I think it's important to appreciate that that is a person and that is someone who believes in you. Mm. Yeah, and I, I I think that's that's probably ties into kind of like the the, the next point I want to make is that uh, it's kind of oh I always always be it I'm listen to me I'm mumbling be it a Kickstarter be it a Patreon like in everything we we do. We've always believed in trying very, very hard to treat our fans fairly, which is why uh, I brought up the early thing of like someone giving you $25 a month to play a game. Like I've, I've seen people, I, I support a few people on Patreon and I've seen people offering, I feel much, much more for much, much less. I feel, you know, um, so which is why I think Patreon works best at traditionally these these kind of low numbers, and we always wanted to give give people extras. I mean, we're we're 
wheeling out some ideas where we really want to make our patrons feel special and feel kind of engaged in what we do. And so we've got a couple of things kind of in the works for next year. But yeah, we, we that anyone would back is, is you know, a hell of an honour. Yeah. It's the same, same with our subscribers. It just, it really does make all this possible, you know, yeah. whatever all this is, you know. <laughs> Wicked. So uh, we're coming, well, we've gone over the hour again. <laughs> But, uh, so we should. Uh... I'm so sorry, guys. No, no, of course just, not, no. I really have been uh, uh, out of control tonight. No, it's gone sorry. quick. It's gone really quick. Uh, so uh, I've, I've last minute put together some quick fire <laughs> questions. So, oh, John, if, if you're ready for uh, a second round, round of quick fire questions, um... uh, yeah, far away. Uh, hit me where it hurts. Quickly, please. Okay, Dan, do you want to go first? After you, mate. You go first, Dan. Okay, John, are you ready? Yeah. Uh, carpet or floorboards? Floorboards. Coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> Last person you sniffed? <laughs> uh, the, uh, my friend trainer at his wedding at the weekend. He smelled nice. like a champion. <laughs> <laughs> what is the key ingredient of surprise? Uh, timing. Did you know? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> David Blaine or Paul Daniels? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Paul Daniels. Uh, what makes a good comic book? Uh, Scables. The best film sequel. Oh. Oh, good gracious. Uh, I liked Age of Ultron. Okay, cool. Um, I was that guy. <laughs> uh, spirit writer. I guess I know who this is now, actually. Uh, yeah, Grand Rising. Yeah, cool. Grand spirit, <laughs> spirit carbonated soda drink. Oh, uh... <laughs> Oh, tonic water. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I, 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 love tonic I, water. I enjoyed Age of Ultron as well. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. He loved I thought it was cool. I liked yeah. it. Um, kind of, we, we have our support group monthly where we, uh, we talk, about, <laughs> <laughs> talk about our love for a movie. A, AA meeting, right? Age of Ultron. Oh, that didn't quite work. The gold star. Um, oh. Cool. Okay, so where should we send people to this week, John? Well, uh, if, if they were kind enough to make it through another hour of me waffling, and, and I'm just going to keep apologising, but I, I hope I haven't come across as too much of a grumpy old man because I, <laughs> I just had random thoughts to get out of my head. But, uh, yeah, uh, www.bigpunchstudios.com is the place for all things Big Punch. And uh, uh, I guess www.afterlife-inc.com as well, where we'll be getting some new content up on the site as well. Great. And Dan, what do we do you want to send people to this week? Uh, www.hawkingcleaver.com. Put your email down, get yourself a free book. Great. All right, guys, I'm going to stop the recording now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories? Oh. And did you know, every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute day, anyway. Toodle pip.